And now, if you are able, I invite you to stand with me as we hear the word of the Lord read together. I'll be reading Acts chapter 22, verse 30, through Acts chapter 23, verse 11. So Acts 22, verse 30, through Acts 23, verse 11. And now the word of the Lord. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then God said to him, or sorry, then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Acts as we have followed the Apostle Paul. Uh, we pray as we consider this passage this morning, give us wisdom. Uh, we pray that you would give us hearts that are quick to uh, be convicted, uh, to be encouraged, uh, to be transformed by being reminded once again of your incredible grace. Name your pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this morning uh, we are continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and we're we're going to be looking at Acts chapter twenty-two, verse thirty, uh, through Acts twenty-three, verse eleven, which I just read for us. And over the past few weeks, we've been following the story of Paul's visit to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, in chapter 21, uh, Paul, led by the Spirit, he goes to Jerusalem in spite of the potential of danger for himself. And then all, while he's there, on the advice of James, the brother of Jesus and the leader of the Jerusalem church, uh, Paul goes to the temple. And he does this because uh, by fulfilling some customs and laws of the people, uh, the hope is that he'll prove that the rumors uh, that he has been teaching others to reject Jewish customs and Jewish laws uh, would be proven false. They would see that he actually is still following these customs, still following these laws, um, and hopefully some of these rumors about Paul will be put to rest. Uh, but while he is at the temple fulfilling his vows, uh, Jews from Asia recognize Paul. 
and they correctly identify him for his work spreading the gospel in the cities of Asia. And then, because they've correctly identified him, uh, they falsely accuse him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And this false accusation causes the crowd to drag Paul out of the temple, and the crowd seeks to kill Paul. Uh, but thankfully, the Roman tribune, seeing the chaos on the Temple Mount, he intervenes in an effort to, to restore order. And this tribune gives Paul the opportunity to address the crowd. And Paul uses his opportunity to share his story. Uh, he shares the story of transformation from persecuting the Christian church to the day when he was met by the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And Luke tells us that the crowd is listening. Uh, they're listening to Paul intently up to the point where he recounts being sent with a message of hope to the Gentiles. And at these words, the crowd erupts. Uh, they declare that Paul doesn't deserve to live. If this message of hope is for the Gentiles, he doesn't deserve to live. And in response to this second riot, uh, the tribune takes Paul into custody again, uh, planning to get answers from Paul. And he's, he plans to get answers from Paul about why is, you know, why is this crowd seeking to kill you? His plan is to get the answers by questioning him while flogging him. And this is the plan, that Paul's going to basically be tortured into giving answers until Paul reveals that he is a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, Paul is, um, Paul is protected from this unjust flogging by his rights um, as a citizen of Rome. And, and as Howard Marshall, one of the commentators, uh, tells us in his commentary on this passage, uh, he says, uh, it would seem that once the Romans had intervened in the case and found it concerned a Roman citizen then it was necessary that they themselves deal with the matter. And so because Paul's a Roman citizen, they find this out. Uh, the Roman, Roman official, Claudius, is now involved. Uh, he's, he's with it till the end. He has to find out what's happening. And so in our passage this morning, uh, Claudius, this Roman official, uh, still desiring to understand what Paul has done to create two riots on the same day, he calls together the Jewish council. He calls together the Sanhedrin in an attempt to understand the situation and to render a fair judgment. And he has to render a fair judgment because Paul's a Roman citizen. And so Paul is on trial because the false accusations that were made against him uh, caused chaos. And as the center of chaos in a city of Jerusalem that was prone to chaos, being the center of chaos was not, not where you wanted to be. Uh, you, were, you were guilty of causing chaos whether you had done anything or not. And so Paul's on trial because of the false accusations caused chaos He's on trial because he's at the center of a riot. And this Roman official is required to find out why this riot occurred and whether it's safe to release Paul back into the population of Jerusalem. And so he calls a meeting of the Sanhedrin, and he does this in an effort to get an answer. He wants, he wants answers to his questions about what's happening. And in our passage this morning, Paul is once again speaking as a witness on trial. Yet frequently throughout the book of Acts, Paul's on trial, and once again, he's speaking as a witness on trial. And this is actually bad news. Uh, this is bad news because if you notice uh, the passage I read a minute ago, uh, Paul is a terrible witness for himself in our passage today. Uh, in, in the space of just a few verses, uh, Paul gets into a fight with the judge. Uh, then he throws the courtroom into chaos twice. And it, it, it's a bold strategy. It's a bold strategy to call down God's judgment on your judge while you're on trial. But then again, Paul's always been a bold guy. Uh, but the reality is that there are probably other better strategies uh, if you're trying to be found not guilty than attacking your judge's character and then causing courtroom chaos. And so what we see in this passage is that Paul is a terrible witness for himself. If his goal is to be found not guilty, he's doing it the wrong way. And in the, in the early 1970s, there's this kind of a, an eclectic collection of essays written by C.S. Lewis 
uh, that was published in a book called God in the Dock. Uh, God in the Dock. And this title comes from the idea that modern man, rather than realizing and understanding that uh, we ourselves are on trial before the God who created us, uh, modern man attempts to put God on trial, that we want to see God in the witness stand. Well, in verse 6 of the chapter 23, Paul tells the Sanhedrin that it isn't Paul who's on trial, but instead it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they put on trial. Paul is not a witness in his own defense. Uh, he is a witness to the truth and the power of the resurrected Jesus. And so in our passage this morning, uh, we're going to see that the way that Paul behaves in the courtroom makes him a terrible witness for himself, but that through the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul is an incredible witness to the truth of the resurrection. And this is good news for us. Uh, this is good news for us because Paul is not the only one whose faith is on trial, and Paul's not the only one who does a bad job as a witness for themselves. Uh, our faith is on trial every day. Our faith is on trial every day as our lives are watched by the world around us, as the world listens to the things that we say, as they read what we type. Um, our beliefs are challenged by those who oppose our faith. And as our faith is challenged uh, by our own continued struggles against our own sin, um, so there's challenges to our faith from outside of us, there's challenges from inside of us. And so the bad news this morning is that with our long list of sin and with our propensity to argue and even to fight uh, with the God who is our judge, uh, we also make really bad witnesses for ourselves in our own defense. Uh, but the good news for us this morning is that like Paul, even though we can be terrible witnesses in our own defense, through the power of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ, we become incredible witnesses to the truth of the resurrection. And since, like Paul, we are terrible witnesses in our own defense, uh, we need to pay close attention uh, to our passage today as we learn how to live as faithful witnesses uh, to the resurrection of Christ. So this morning, we're going to walk through this passage together, and then we're going to take just a few minutes to look at um, how the gospel transforms terrible witnesses for ourselves into incredible witnesses for the truth of the resurrection. And, and the first thing that we see in this passage is that Paul is being brought before the council. Paul is brought before the council. I'm going to read verse 30 through verse 5 again for us. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So in verse 30, Claudius, the Roman official, he calls together the Sanhedrin, this is the court of the Jewish people, because he needs to find out what Paul's offense is so that he can render a judgment. Uh, Claudius recognized that Paul's offense was related to the Jewish law, so he calls the Jewish council together. And so Paul is given the opportunity to speak in his own defense. And Luke records for us, uh, this interesting detail that before Paul speaks, he just he gazes intently at the council. You know, perhaps he recognizes some of these men. Uh, perhaps he's remembering when Stephen uh, stood on this spot before he was martyred. Paul takes a moment 
to look into the faces of his judges. And then he uses his opening remarks to state his innocence regarding these false accusations that have been made against him. Uh, He says that he has lived his life before God in good conscience. Uh, Paul begins his defense by calmly claiming innocence regarding the charges brought against him uh, by the Jews from Asia. And the high priest responds to Paul's claims of innocence by having Paul struck in the face. Uh, The high priest at the time was a man named Ananias. Uh, He was appointed as high priest by Rome, and he was known for his impatience. He was known for his vicious character. Uh, And so treating Paul's statement as a lie, he orders Paul to be struck. And this brings to mind the trial of Jesus. It reminds us of the trial of Jesus when Jesus is struck in the face when they don't like his answers. Uh, But in John chapter 18, Jesus responds to this injustice by asking for clarification about why he was struck. You know, if I haven't said anything wrong, why did you hit me? Uh, Here, uh, Paul takes a different route. He responds by saying, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Uh, So rather than imitating Jesus' calm response to the injustice he received at the hands of the high priest, uh, Paul echoes the words of Jesus when Jesus confronted the hypocrisy of the Pharisees when he, as he calls Ananias the high priest um, a whitewashed wall, implying that he is a hypocrite, that he looks good on the outside, but inside there's rotten decay. And so Ananias, and he does this because Ananias broke the law. He broke the law to have Paul struck in the face for telling the truth. And so Paul asks how Ananias expects to be a competent judge when Ananias is breaking the law. And uh, in response to Paul's outburst, Uh, The men who stood by Paul, perhaps the same ones who just struck him in the face when Ananias said to, uh, they've now chastised Paul for speaking this way to the high priest. And Paul's response in verse 5 to this correction has greatly divided the commentators on this passage. Uh, Paul responds to their correction when they say, why are you speaking to the high priest this way? He responds by saying, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And and the aspect of his response that that gives students of this passage trouble is that they aren't sure if Paul is telling the truth, like you might expect an apostle and a representative of the gospel to do, uh, that he really didn't know that Ananias was the high priest. They're not sure if Paul is telling the truth, that he somehow really doesn't know that Ananias is a high priest. Or the other option is that Paul is continuing to antagonize Ananias uh, by being sarcastic to him. Uh, You know, had Paul... You know, so they ask questions. Well, had, had Paul been gone from Jerusalem so long that he just didn't know who the current high priest was? Uh, some have said, well, Paul's eyesight was so bad, he just didn't recognize the high priest, even though he was wearing his outfit. Uh, some have said that, well, maybe Ananias just didn't wear his outfit that day, um, even though this was an official gathering. Um, and so they kind of try to work through, how could Paul possibly be telling the truth that he doesn't know Ananias as a high priest? Um, we clearly see that Paul knows the law. Uh, he even says... Uh, He shouldn't speak evil of the ruler of God's people. So he either honestly doesn't recognize the high priest or in the heat of their confrontation, uh, he rejects the authority of Ananias because of Ananias' well-known flawed character and because Ananias was appointed as a high priest by Rome and kind of broke the normal procedures. And after spending a lot of time on this, in in light of Paul's use of sarcasm in his other letters, uh, in light of the chaotic response of the council following his remarks, it seems clear Uh, that Paul is being sarcastic in his response to these men who correct him for breaking the law just a few seconds after they broke the law and hit him. Um, Howard Marshall, another one of the commentators, suggests that we should understand Paul's words to mean, I did not think that a man 
who could give such an order could be the high priest. Uh, this idea that Paul is actually antagonizing the high priest uh, when he says, oh, I didn't know, oh, are you the high priest? You know, the high priest wouldn't break the law, and here you are breaking the law. Um, and so Paul is actually continuing to antagonize the high priest, even though he's on trial. And if you think about it, Paul is on trial because he's been accused of breaking Jewish laws and of encouraging others to do the same. But in this courtroom, Paul is the only one who's been following the law until he sarcastically insulted the high priest. Um, so none of this is the way that you expect a Sanhedrin court to run. Um, but in the courtroom, Paul is the only one expected to keep the law. And so what we see is that just within a few minutes of this courtroom beginning, uh, Paul's already in trouble. Uh, he's already in trouble. Uh, this interaction with the high priest and with those near him uh, results in enough chaos that the next words that we hear from Paul, uh, the next words that he says, they have to be shouted for people to hear them. And I'm going to read those uh, verses again for us. This is Acts 23, verses 6 through 10. Acts 23, 6 through 10. It says, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. So after this incident with the high priest, uh, Paul realizes that his attempts to defend himself are going nowhere good. And so he cries out over the chaos, and he cries out to to remind the members of the Sanhedrin that he is a Pharisee, that he was raised by Pharisees, that he was trained in the traditions of the Pharisees, and that this trial is ultimately not about him, but about the hope of the resurrection that's been realized in Jesus Christ. And when Paul says this, his words divide the council, and Luke tells us why. Uh, the Sanhedrin was the council in the court of the Jews, and it was comprised of the morally and theologically conservative Pharisees, who in the book of Acts, Luke actually... Um, Puts them in a good light throughout the entire book. And then, so that was one side of the Sanhedrin. We had the Pharisees. And then it was comprised of the theologically liberal Sadducees, who Luke tells us denied important doctrines regarding the resurrection from the dead, the reality of spirits and angels. And so Paul's entire testimony about what he is doing and, and why he's doing it, uh, why is he a minister of the gospel, why is he taking this message of hope to the Gentiles, all of it hinges on his claim to have met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, the resurrected Jesus is the reason he's no longer persecuting the church. The resurrected Jesus appointed him as a minister of the gospel. The resurrected Jesus sent him to the Gentiles. If they have a problem with Paul, it all hinges on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Paul cries out that it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And the two groups begin to argue. And we're told that a great clamor arises. And we're told that some of the Pharisees even begin to defend Paul um, as they seek to defend the possibility of the resurrection. And at some point, the disagreement becomes violent. It's, it's always one of those things when you read these passages, you're trying to imagine these dignified men, these, these elders and these leaders of the Jewish community, uh, they're now fighting with one another physically. 
It reminds you of scenes from the British Parliament or the, uh, the American Congress in the 1700s when uh, the debates would get so heated and so intense that they start fighting each other with their canes. Uh, maybe you've seen this in like old movies. Um, yeah, the debate just turns into this physical argument, and these otherwise dignified men are now hitting each other with canes. Um, this is kind of the scene that we're seeing here. Uh, arguments turn into violence, and Paul is rescued for the third time in two days by this Roman official. He's taken back to the barracks, and nobody, still nobody knows why Paul's on trial. And then in verse 11 of this passage, we read these incredible words. Uh, it says, The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. You know, it's, it's easy when we read the Bible to breathe right past a verse like this, uh, but we can't let the fact that the Bible is full of incredible things uh, cause us to treat God's gracious and his uh, miraculous intervention in this world as ordinary. You know, Paul has been at the center of three violent riots in the past two days. Uh, he may have some regrets about the things he said and did at the council that morning. Uh, you know, he had a chance to defend himself in front of the Sanhedrin and in front of this Roman official, and uh, he made it one sentence into his defense. He was hit in the face. Uh, he got in an argument with the high priest. Uh, he turned the courtroom into chaos, and uh, he let it in this chaos turn into violence that he had to be rescued from. And so Paul is physically, he's emotionally worn out. And here in this, the Roman barracks, you know, who shows up to comfort Paul? The resurrected Jesus Christ. You know, Paul spent the past two days explaining to the hostile crowds that the resurrected Jesus had completely upended and transformed his life. And now, in an incredibly gracious miracle, Jesus appears to Paul. And he says he appears to stand by him and tells Paul that he is not a witness for himself. You know, Paul's not a witness for himself hoping to be freed, but that Paul is a witness for Jesus. He's a witness for Jesus and that he's going to proclaim the gospel in Rome the same way that he had proclaimed the gospel while on trial in Jerusalem. And so Paul just told the council, you know, Paul just told the council that the resurrection of Jesus was on trial. And that night, the resurrected Jesus appears to Paul in the barracks. You know, what an extraordinary mercy and kindness from God to Paul. And that's, that's where our passage ends this morning. With Jesus standing by Paul, promising Paul, that he will have the opportunity to be a witness for the resurrection in Rome, as just as he's been to a witness to the resurrection in Jerusalem. And this is, this is such an interesting passage. Uh, Paul goes before the Sanhedrin with a chance to explain to the Roman tribune uh, why he was at the center of the riot, why he's not guilty, why he should be set free. He's there to explain his innocence. Instead, Paul is wrongly struck in the face at the command of the high priest. He responds by warning the high priest that God is going to strike the high priest in the face. There's coming judgment for him against his hypocrisy. Uh, he disrespects the high priest, and, and his words regarding the resurrection of Jesus lead to a violent argument between the Pharisees and the Sadducees to the point where he had to be removed so he wouldn't be torn to pieces. And so what we see in this passage, what we've seen in this passage, is that Paul serves as a terrible witness for himself if he's trying to get off on these charges. But because of the transforming power of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ, uh, Paul is an incredible witness to the truth of the resurrection. Um, in another book of the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains why the truth of the resurrection matters so much to us. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees that our faith is not in vain. Uh, he tells us that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees our own resurrection. And he tells us that the resurrection of Jesus 
guarantees that Jesus is right now ruling and reigning over all things for our good and for his glory. And so Paul knew that the resurrection mattered. And like Paul, uh, we find our own faith on trial every day. Uh, the world is watching how we live. The world is listening to our words. It is, the world is reading our words that we write. Uh, the way that we live our lives in public functions as a witness to the truth of the resurrection. Uh, the things that we say, the things that we type function as a witness to the truth of the resurrection. And increasingly, the world is not content to watch how we live, but they actively challenge the beliefs uh, that we're committed to, that we, um, that we say. And we will find ourselves called on as witnesses to the truth of the Bible, to the truth of the resurrection, to the truth of the gospel. And the bad news this morning is that with our continuing struggle against sin, uh, with our prop propensity to argue with our judge, with God, uh, to even fight against uh, the things he tells us to do, uh, we often make terrible witnesses for ourselves. The good news for us this morning is that, like Paul, we can be a terrible witness in our own defense, but through the power of the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ, we become incredible witnesses of his resurrection. And so before we go this morning, uh, we're going to spend just a few minutes looking at how the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ transforms terrible witnesses for ourselves into incredible witnesses for the truth of the resurrection. And uh, the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ it transforms terrible witnesses for ourselves into incredible witnesses for this truth of the resurrection by transforming our testimony. It transforms our testimony. In Acts chapter 22 and in chapter 23, Paul shares his story of being changed by an encounter with Jesus Christ. Uh, before that moment, Paul hated Jesus. He hated Jesus' followers enough to punish them, enough to approve of their death. Uh, before he met Jesus, Paul was at war against the church of Jesus. After he meets Jesus, Paul considers himself a slave, bound to do his Lord's will, whatever that might be for him. This is Paul's testimony to the Jews. This is Paul's testimony to the Gentiles. This is Paul's testimony to anybody who will listen. As a Pharisee, he strived to keep God's law. But all the while, he was acting as an enemy in rebellion to his God. But the resurrected Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and he met him with forgiveness, and he met him with a new mission. And our stories of being transformed by meeting this resurrected Jesus are no less dramatic. Uh, listen to what Paul tells us. I'm going to read Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. Romans 5, 6 through 11. Paul says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In Romans 5, Paul paints this picture for us. He tells us that every one of us had hearts that were set against God, and they were set against God in rebellion, that we were his enemies before the perfect life, before the sacrificial death, and before this powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ made a way for our sins to be forgiven, uh, for rebellious sinners to be reconciled to their holy God. You know, be before the transforming work of the gospel, everything that we did, everything that we said was held against us. But now we have a new testimony. We have a new story to tell. 
Uh, like Paul, we have a story of transformation. From standing guilty before a holy God to being declared innocent, um, even being declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We have a new story to share. We have a new testimony. Uh, Jesus meets Paul in those barracks, as Paul is certainly thinking through how that trial could have gone better, and tells Paul that he is not a witness for himself, that he is now a witness for the grace of Jesus Christ for sinners like himself. And this is true for us. It's true for us as well. You know, the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ, it transforms uh, people who are just terrible witnesses for ourselves. Uh, We continue to struggle against sin. We struggle with the words we say. We struggle with the words that we write. Uh, We are terrible witnesses for ourselves, but through the power of the gospel, we're transformed. Uh, We're transformed as the Spirit works in us, as God uses His Word to work in us, as God uses His people to work in us. Uh, We're transformed. Not only in the moment we are justified, that God declares us righteous based on the work of Christ, but as God continues His work in us. And so this morning, as we consider this, we remember uh, that while we are terrible witnesses for ourselves, that through the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ, we become incredible witnesses of the truth of the gospel. So let me pray for